Einstein, Michael Kimball, and today we have a special guest, John Wilmus, writer, professor, basketball fan. You can read a lot of his work at Real GM. There are other articles, other places. And yeah, so here we are. It's week one, one of the best weeks in the year, one of the best weeks in the NBA season. All of those off-season trades, picks, moves, coaching changes, we get to see what the result is. We're here in week one. What's everybody most excited about so far? Ben the Simmons, Bucks. of course. I, it was the Bucks. Who said I, the Bucks? I mean, I went for a legitimate oh, answer. I mean, the, bu- okay. the, bu- the Bucks came out kind of ex- as we expected. Yeah, uh, they looked good. They looked very good. Um, I I thought that, you know, part of it was the Nets don't look like they've gelled yet. I don't expect that to be the Nets the looked rough. <laughs> yeah. The, the next game is going to be much more competitive. Yeah. But, um, but the the Bucks came out as expected. And um, as someone who who really likes this Giannis and what this Giannis is for the league, um, couldn't be what if, happier. What if he can shoot free throws now? I think I really think he's going to be better. I mean, he's never going to be a great free throw shooter, but I could see him hitting seventy five percent. It's I think his numbers might go up. He looked he looked pretty good there uh, in in that first game. Uh, John John, what 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 did you say? I, I missed it. Uh, oh, I was just joking. I said the the Ben Simmons thing, which <laughs> well, let's get into it's not it. really this a joke. Bad. That's this what is, the media is. Yeah. Like, but you know, yeah. most so much of the basketball coverage is now about not playing basketball (laughs) it's it's this whatever the philly fiasco i don't know what it it does it doesn't have a collective name yet it's the philly fiasco it's simmons it's Embiid. it's the sixers front office uh is anybody right here or is everybody wrong i think everybody's pretty much wrong (laughs) um speak in terms of like what it's called or whatever i was watching some espn clip and they have like a very specific graphic and then i'll put a banner at the bottom of the screen it says it's all about the benjamin um oh, that's terrible we could do better than that but it's it's a it's a picture of simmons but then also of like that benjamin franklin yeah uh, like dribbling the basketball logo oh um, okay okay that's better that's better i accept it it's, it's rough <laughs> it's rough yeah no nobody's right um everyone's looking pretty bad right now um, and you know it's hard to defend the exact actions that Simmons himself has taken, but he did make his stance pretty clear a while ago. And I don't yeah. really know. I don't really know what they expect by forcing him to come back. Like he's all out on going there. Anybody who's a veteran who's retired uh, or even still playing, who's played in Philadelphia enough, knew. And this is what Tim Legler was saying on ESPN. Knew as soon as things went south for him with that fan base. That to that degree in the playoffs that he could never play there again, Um, and that's the kind of dynamic that Daryl Morey is just never going to acknowledge as being real. Um, It's it's too it's too emotional and too human for him to to really acknowledge. Yeah, you have that great piece at Real GM about that and about the the um, you call it a turf war if I'm remembering right between Simmons and Embiid, and that Embiid won the turf war, he won the media war, he won the fan allegiance, um, and that's part of how he got here. Is I I guess um, I'm going to ask two questions. One, what could they have done to have prevented this? And two what is the best path for all of the parties involved now? 
Best path. Well, we'll get to the, what could they have done to prevent this? I mean, I think it was kind of unpreventable unless Daryl Morey was like maybe a different person, but he's, he's <laughs> not. You can't ever expect that, right? <laughs> right. So, I mean, I, Ramona Shelburne did some good reporting on this about how basically so ever since he got there, he's been, he was right away kind of speaking up both sides of his mouth where he's saying, actually, the Simmons and Embiid pairing is much better than people think it is. And like, we're committed to it, but they're already trying to trade him for James right. Harden like immediately when he gets there so it's like right. how, how are you saying both of these things at the same time um, and it's just like you, you already knew that that was a sensitive situation and you come in and do that you know right. yeah like, so I, I want to jump in here because I feel like we're sort of dancing around our real opinions about the Ben Simmons situation I'm thinking specifically <laughs> of Kyle we've been talking about this in our I haven't chat. said anything yet I, I, yeah. I know he's just I'm lying in the weeds yeah, there I'm like uh, come on what's he <laughs> he he's gearing up for, for a real <laughs> attack here but yeah I mean I just think that like uh, this is what I thought of as you were talking John like I feel like the people defending Daryl Morey and the Sixers organization at this point are either tacitly or like intentionally pretending that there is like a 50 50 chance that Ben Simmons finishes out his contract as a sixer and I just don't think the chance is as high is that high because like essentially I've said this from the beginning Ben Simmons wants to get traded on his timeline rather than Daryl Morey's timeline and if you think and if and I don't think for a second that Daryl Morey like actually wants Ben Simmons to come back and like finish out his contract so it's (laughs) like and if he does, that is another indication of him completely just ignoring the human element in all of this. But it's like, if you're defending the Sixers at this point, you're just you're just pretending that like they they won't trade him the, the millisecond they get something approaching a deal that they like. Right. Right. Kyle, let's hear it. So I mean, I'll go back to what John was talking about with the beginning of this, where Daryl Morey is speaking out of both sides of his mouth, because I think a lot of people in the media um, would like to be able to allow Morey to have that that side of it where he was really where, where the trade was. Of course, you try to make this trade. It's James Harden. Right. And he knew what he was doing there. And very clearly, like the, the point is that it's an inflection point. When you make that decision to go for James Harden, there, the news will come out. You know who Ben Simmons is. You know the, the relationship to the fan base. You know the way that that is going to turn out. And you, you know which way it's going to turn if you don't get James Harden. So I won't hear any of the, you have to go out and go for James Harden because he's an MVP caliber player and Ben Simmons needs to understand this. All of that is nonsense to me. And I think that, you know, my, I mean, you know, my stance because I've been saying it for a while. I think that um, Daryl Morey has too much pride to allow himself to take the L on this, which is that he, he's, he's not, some savior for the Philadelphia franchise that's like protecting them from some disgruntled player. He is making it worse. There are, I figure, four people involved in this kind of um, everybody's wrong scenario. And three of them are going to be with the Sixers organization, and one of them is not <laughs> going to be. The one person who is not going to be has been careful and been silent the entire time and is being. 
I think, mischaracterized by the media in every way. And I basically had enough of it. I just like I Maury just needs to take the loss on it. He needs to make whatever trade is available. I don't really care that he's been pushed into a situation where he's not going to get equal value because that was the decision that he made. He mismanaged the situation. And I know like Adam Silver and everybody wants, like they care about what kind of precedent does this set when, when a player this early in his contract can force his way out. He didn't just force his way out. He basically had a coach in a press conference you know, give up on him. He's had Joel Embiid, you know, sort of snidely saying things against him for a couple of years now. Joel didn't just win Philadelphia's fan base um, over, you, you know, in spite of Ben Simmons, he kind of did it against him for a couple of, I mean, that's been my read of it. And I actually yeah. really, yeah. I really like Joel. I mean, but I, but you don't build a team and you don't build up teammates in the way that he was, was, you know, reacting publicly. And so I just think that they lost on this. I, I yeah. don't put the blame on Ben Simmons. I see it honestly as an abusive environment. And I think that he just needs to be able to get out. Yeah, I, I think when it when it comes to Embiid, he is just he's on another level in terms of studying his fan base and like catering to it. Like <laughs> he's he, pretty good at it. He's really good at it. I I think it's it's pandering and hacky and and kind of just incredibly distasteful. But um, yeah, the way the way that I think that it's kind of embarrassing too. Like, gosh, I don't mean to like go off on humanity in general here, but like the whole thing where everybody thinks he's funny because he like grabs phrases from like the pre-approved glossary of twitter jokes it's like that's not funny that's that's really not funny and if you think that's funny you're not funny and or creative or like somebody who's really worth listening to like he's not i don't think that this stuff is very funny i think it's i don't even think it's not funny because it's like so mean or, or abusive or whatever it just straight up isn't funny it's just like why do you think this guy is like this is like the way that a loser tweets to try to like cultivate friendships, you know? And then overall the 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 eagerness of the pile on onto Ben Simmons is just yeah. I, it's made me like not want to watch sports. Like it's disgusting, honestly. Um, it's like a mat. I was talking to a friend about this who is literally a PhD in, in psychology, and he was like, Oh, well, that whole thing is clearly just like a masculine signaling discourse where, you know, you have to like prove your masculinity by like really having some uniquely bad burn about him or whatever and it's like it's just that's just kind of disgusting to me like yeah. i just i don't like to watch it and i'm kind of sick of it and people who should know better don't know better and i i'm just i'm really really over it and you really have to keep in mind too that there's like i don't want to talk about what it is because this is not our story to tell and we're not the kind of people who should be talking about this but there's some really really bad stuff going on in his life with his family um, and the Sixers are now accusing him of quote unquote faking mental illness. It's like, no, dude, like that guy has to wow. pay his sister's um, defamation lawsuit lost to his brother. Like, what do you wow. think is going on here? Like, this is some fucked up shit. Like, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I read that. I listened to the daily, the ESPN daily podcast with Pablo Torre and Ramona Shelburne talking about that story. And you know, another thing that I thought of was just that, like, whether, first of all, like, as you're saying, it's sort of ridiculous to be, like, accusing someone of faking their mental, uh, faking mental illness, but 
the moment that you do that, how can you expect someone to be bought into that organization and to that team? Yeah. Like if, if Ben Simmons was truly too afraid to participate in game seven, if you voice that opinion, then like, how can he believe that you're going to count on him and you, you believe that he can perform in the biggest moments? Like, I just don't think that like, that's not tenable. None of this is tenable in any way. And I think I wanted to ask you about this, John, because, you know, I want to implicate myself here. Like, I think, you know, Joel Embiid, as Kyle has been Kyle has been saying, Joel Embiid and now Daryl Morey, basically everyone except Ben Simmons has been worsening his trade value. I'd argue they've been worsening his trade value way more than any of his holding out has done. By yeah. <laughs> every single time Joel Embiid talks, he makes the situation worse and more toxic. Now Daryl Morey is doing the same thing, you know, putting his foot in the ground and saying he won't budge. Like none of this is improving the situation, which I would assume is none of this is improving his trade value. But I did think, you know, in, in Embiid's comments that where he was like, we built the team around Simmons. I think there's some truth in that, but I, I saw you point out on Twitter that you were just like Embiid is telling more lies here. And I think I wanted to get into that because I think most people sort of just agreed with, with what Ben with what Embiid was saying. Well, a lot of that was just made up. I mean, there's some truth to it, but like Jimmy Butler didn't leave because of Ben Simmons or anything like that. Jimmy Butler left because obviously the organization is fucked up. Right. Um, and he hated Brett Brown. I mean, he's been on record about this. And after he forced his way out of Minnesota, which, you know, he did kind of act like a psycho about, to be honest, but like, he obviously knew that there was a stigma around him at that point. And the Sixers were like leaking shit that was like making that stigma continue to trail him. Right. Right. Like, like this is not shocking to hear, right. This is an organization that leaks negative things about their players, especially not now. Yeah. And so basically what Butler had done at the point, and he talks about this explicitly on uh, the JJ Reddick podcast, what he had done at some point when he was in Philly was sort of, you know, he would talk to teammates about like whether they liked, you know, the way the team was playing strategically, like how, what their X's and O's were. And a lot of times they would say that they didn't necessarily. And, and he knew that a lot of people on the team felt that way. So he mentioned this during a practice to Brett Brown. And then a lot of the players on the team who agreed with him privately didn't really like agree with him in that moment. Um, And then that got leaked out as like Jimmy Butler is being crazy again and challenging Brett Brown's authority. And he didn't like that they did that to him. And then when he went to free agency, he was like still undecided. And what he heard about through his agent or whatever, about where they were at with him was they want you back if they can control you which if you know Jimmy Butler, you know is not what he Did wants to Did they use hear. control? They used that word? I don't know if they used those words. <laughs> but, but yeah, I get the. It's, I, I like that you brought up Jimmy here because his image is no longer that now. Like we, right, we all look at image. So what has to happen for Ben Simmons to change his image in the media? Can that happen well, for to, Ben Simmons? Go to a functional organization which I mean, the teams who are looking to trade for him are also not functional for the most part. So that's not, that's not a good prospect for him. How about uh, Detroit? Detroit was in that mix of six teams that were I looking still to trade he, for him. He needs, is he a fit there? No. He needs to go to the Spurs. I really Rockets. Spurs. How about yeah. the Rockets? I want to see the Spurs trade for him. Yeah. I mean, and, but when it comes to the Al Horford part of that, of this historical revisionism, they said that they got him <laughs> because he was, a stretch five or whatever, but it's like, bro, like El Horford was bad for you and for Ben. He was just a bad guy to add to that team. 
I I always who was a good guy to have on that team would have been to keep JJ Redick. <laughs> JJ Redick, JJ Redick, Robert Covington. I also uh, thought mixed in with that was like Embiid was was critiquing the organization. You know, like Daryl Morey's in his comments right. today is sort of saying, "What could we possibly have done differently to not wind up in this situation?" Oh, I don't know, like a laundry list of things, including <laughs> like not basically choosing, everything, not choosing Brett Brown over Jimmy Butler, not choosing to pay Tobias Harris insane money. Like I don't know, yeah. just so many, so many things. Yeah, and this is and this is not even getting to the fact of of what I really feel, which is that the idea that you have a title or bust mentality building around Joel Embiid is just crazy to me. This is a guy who has played forty percent of the games he's been eligible for since he got drafted. He averages more turnovers and assists in the playoffs. He can't stand on two legs in the fourth quarter of a playoff game. He averaged more turnovers than made field goals in the fourth quarter of the playoffs this year. But when this you've got a good scapegoat, you know every, <laughs> everything yeah. comes out in the wash. It's crazy to me. Like this guy is not a, like a championship player. Like he could be if he was like on an unbelievable team and he learned how to pass. But like, come on! Like yeah. the idea that there's just like this this attainable fit for him that's automatically going to get you to a championship when it's like, okay, what did he do without Simmons? Got swept, right? right. Over the years, was the Sixers record when it's Embiid and no Simmons? It's under five hundred. What is it when Simmons plays without Embiid? It's over 500. What are we doing here? Like, I feel like I'm not, I feel like I'm the only one who actually pays attention to what's going on here. I'm going insane. Yeah, you, you and me both. And I mean, I think like, also, I just, I'm even more wrapped up in like the conversation around it, but everyone's talking about, oh, um, Embiid and Doc Rivers, they only let this one thing slip out once in public. They've been supportive of him this entire time. It's like, this is like the easiest thing to do in sports. You give the non-answer that creates no opportunity for the media to create a narrative. Like, this is job number one for the supposedly chemistry coach in Doc Rivers because he damn sure wasn't coaching the team well. They got beat by a a worse team. Like, they should have beaten the They got beat by a worse team, and he been beaten you know being up 3-1 what was that the fourth time like yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's ridiculous it's like just do the one thing that you're supposed to be good at it's unbelievable <laughs> i i have to give a, a a nod of respect here to tobias harris because everybody just likes that guy so much that they won't <laughs> like meaningfully comment on him like because he really you know he's making the same money as, as simmons he's a worse player he was just as much of a dozen playoffs in fact, like, he was worse. I mean, he, he was. He was. Like, he was. He was he's a whatever really it nice was, guy. Though. Four for twenty-two he's just such from a the good field. Guy. <laughs> yeah. He looks. He looks like Jay Cole. That's what it is. Yeah, he does. <laughs> yeah. I like Tobias too. I, as you know, I mean, I've been rooting for the Sixers for you know several years now. I mean, it just happens that like the my favorite player on the team has been Ben Simmons. And so like, it, and I'm not just coming to his defense because of that, but it put me in a particular position where I just am not going to be blinded by all of the weird smoke and mirrors that they're trying to play on us, you know? Yeah. I mean, he's been my favorite player on the team too. And I have been a fan for years because of, because of him and specifically because of his non fit with Embiid, which is actually a much better fit than people think it is. Um, even given all the problems, like obviously they've been very successful 
and I've when just they been had like, when they had elite shooters. I mean, granted, you maybe don't right. need to have elite shooters to be to to make you a don't. team work, but like, but they kind of did for them. They really needed like a JJ Redick, and and um, you know, I think getting Seth Curry was a really good thing. It was unfortunate the way things ended last year. Um, God, what if, imagine if they traded for Kelly Olynyk instead of George Hill at the trade deadline last year. Yeah, George Hill is like uh, I don't know what it is. Uh, he only works in in Milwaukee. Anytime he's on a, a team that's not the Milwaukee Bucks, he can't do anything. Apparently, yeah. yeah. So we've been talking about Philly, which to some extent is in this situation because they're trying to win a championship. And that's the only way these things can go for a lot of franchises. It's turned into a mess. Let's move to another franchise that also made some moves to win a championship with Potentially a much better outlook than the Sixers now, though not a lot of people would have said that last year. The Chicago Bulls, John, this is your team. Ten new players, I think, from last season. I don't know if I have that number right. Um, they have Vucevic uh, from last season, Lonzo Ball, DeMar DeRozan, Alex Caruso. Um, does Pat Williams make a jump? Are we expecting anything from the young guys? Kobe, Javante Green, maybe Elise Johnson was a nice low-key pickup, I thought. How do you think – what's your hope for the Bulls this year? Well, first of all, don't sleep on, uh, you know, uh, small four dynamo Javante Green. But um, <laughs> I love I love what they've built. I mean, you guys watched the game as I did because well, you were on the other end of it as Pistons fans. Um, they played one game, obviously, so far this season. And here's the thing, almost nothing went right for them and they won, which is not something you can say about any of the last four years of Bulls games. Um, <laughs> so, the, the, you know, I was surprised by how intense the Detroit defense was. They made, they made it pretty difficult on the Bulls pretty much the entire game. You found encouragement that they, the Bulls overcome, overcame that difficulty and actually won a game rather than it slipping away absolutely i was i was surprised by a lot of things about that game so one of the more interesting things about it was that there was a i thought that there was like a poise gap uh oh yeah (laughs) it was obvious at the very end too i was sort of like if Cade cunningham was here we might be looking at a different outcome but yeah well it was at the end is when the bulls just like stepped up and big brother the situation yeah so many Easy. more veterans, but like, <laughs> right. But the, the Pistons looked like the more poised team for the first three quarters. I felt like, and the Bulls, yeah. they looked like a nervous bunch, like going to, on their first date together or something. Um, and there was, it was funny because in the preseason they had perfect ball movement and it was like globetrotter shit, right? Yeah, um, and especially now, that first preseason game, it was crazy how great they looked. Is, oh, too so fun. I mean, <laughs> I I didn't get too carried away because it's like we're playing the Cavs. Cavs are gonna yeah, be sure, awful. of course, but it was still awful. fun to watch. Super fun to watch, and we I mean we didn't play any good teams. Well, Memphis is pretty good. That's the only good team we played in the preseason, so I didn't really get carried away with any of that. But like, you know, it was they couldn't get the balance right in that first game because they were either having these bad possessions where somebody would try to hero ball too much that somebody was usually DeMar DeRozan um, and, or, or they would overpass the ball and pass up on a lot of good looks. Um, and so you got to get in that in between. Right. And they weren't running a ton of action. Pistons were running way more action last night in the bulls, just simple, you know, handoffs, give and goes a lot of just easy pet actions that you weren't really seeing from the bulls who they just couldn't get anything going. Which of us didn't have his touch. But I mean, I like the team and I was going to, we, you segued 
perfectly, but I was going to segue to the Bulls earlier by saying that I just appreciate that they have like professionals running the team now because we haven't experienced that yeah. so long. You were talking about the Sixers people's having this, you know, chronic inability to do a not to do an effective non-answer. And right. Billy, Billy Donovan and Arturis Karnasovas are amazing at giving non-answers. They'll never say anything. They're like the mafia. And then Mark Eversley, who's technically the general manager of the team, he didn't even talk. <laughs> it's just yeah, like, I wouldn't have remembered his name actually. So yeah, right. right. And like, he's, he's a big part of this. Yeah. He's a big part of this though, because he's like, he's really um, greasing the wheels because he's got a lot of good relationships around the league. Um, yeah. So I so, like what they built. They, what, what, what's your favorite out of the, out of this pickups? The, the you know their floor went way up. I thought um, anybody that you particularly liked that they signed in the off season. I, I'm kind of waiting to see how it all looks before yeah. before I feel too strong about any of that. I still think that Vucevic was the best pickup. Um, I mean, he's just – I had never watched him a ton because the eight-seed magic were not a priority for me <laughs> over the years. But, like, as soon as he got to the Bulls, I was watching him all the time, and I'm like, this guy's awesome. Like, I yeah. can't believe how well he shoots, how much touch he has as a scorer, how yes. smart of a passer he is. He obviously um, is slow – in small space, right? He's actually pretty fast getting up and down the court for a guy. Surprisingly, his yeah. Yeah. So in terms, people were like, "Oh, you can't, you can't play fast with Vucevic." You actually can, but he does not have the foot speed on defense, which is an issue. Um, and the Pistons took full advantage of it last night. Um, well, and I thought I Stewart pushed him around a bit too. Um, yeah, he did. Yeah, which I was. Yeah, I was just surprised because Vucevic is a big guy. Yeah, I wanted to ask. I'm. I didn't watch the game last night, so I can't really comment on that. But I did want to ask about like sort of a larger scale, sort of how the Bulls franchise, how the ship is turning. Um, I follow you obviously on Twitter and someone like uh, Ricky O'Donnell, who I feel like I've been leaning on towards getting the sort of lay of the land. Like, is it true you think that the Bulls are just operating now like these sort of massive market spend money? We don't really value picks. Is that your sense of how things are operating? Like, do you think they're gearing up to go after another star? Yeah. I mean, so another friend of uh, Ricky and I's is uh, Kevin Farragut, who does the Dennis Podman um, podcast, which is great <laughs> Bulls, great Bulls podcast. But um, his theory, and it's now defunct, I pretty not officially, but going to be soon. But it was a workable theory for a while was that they were going to try to go after Jokic when he's available in a couple of years. Wow. But then, I mean, the Nuggets are spending money to lock everybody down yeah. now and going into the tax in the way that people weren't sure they would. But like it was feasible, right? And, and Karnasovas has got this relationship with him from when he was in Denver. But like I do think in general that they are looking toward, you know, making whatever big move is possible for sure. I mean, I don't think that any of anybody on the team is a sacred cow and not even Levine, honestly, although I think that he might be getting there. I mean, then when you asked me earlier, whether I had a favorite pickup and I said kind of Vucevic, like, it's honestly just like, it's, it's all about Zach right now. Like he's just hitting this incredible level. Like he's clearly one of these hitting one of these post Olympics boosts too, even after he already hit a really high level last year, like low key equal or better than Devin Booker you know, and now he's, I mean, I think he's going to be all NBA this year. Like he, he's just going to be unbelievable. So if it's not Jokic, is there a new sort of whispered target for the Bulls? No, you know? I mean, that, that was okay. all just like conspiracy theory, fan, fan speculation anyway, okay. but it, it was tenable. It was, it was a tenable theory, but um, 
I, I, there also is, you know, a lot more um, Eastern European grocery stores in Chicago than there are in Denver for what it's worth. But, um, <laughs> Understood. <laughs> there's quite a few of them. Um, a friend of mine who lives, he actually lives in the Ukrainian village where there are a number of those. He was, he just, he's like a big time Bulls homer. So he only watches, he only experiences the NBA through the Bulls. And I'm always telling him like, this guy Jokic is incredible. You got to watch him. And he's like, whatever, dude. And then, um, <laughs> and then he watches him destroy the Bulls last year. And he's texting me. He's like, he just looks like one of these guys who walks out of Rich's Deli. Which is <laughs> like, you know, one of these big Ukrainian, Eastern European grocery stores near him. And I'm like, yeah, dude, like it's, it's incredible um yeah no i wanted to say i feel like zach levine i i guess i'm i'm on the sort of uh media ombudsman beat for this episode or whatever but i feel like zach levine is someone who gets talked about in a way for a long time as someone who was like an empty stats guy someone who the analytics people really didn't love and they just weren't sure about and i think that gets parroted by people who don't necessarily like walk around with the analytics bag so to speak like just think about it from myself like if you're if you're a serious NBA fan it's still pretty hard to watch like more than like one or two teams games on a regular basis so if you're not watching the Bulls and you're not watching Zach Levine you're just going to parrot whatever you hear Zach Lowe or Nate Duncan saying and you know they just they had their doubts about like how much you know his talents and his scoring amounted to early on but like as you're saying he's reached the level of efficiency of playmaking of defensive like know-how that it's like becoming pretty difficult to like throw those same claims at him and you're hearing you know things are coming out from the olympics about how his teammates and you know he won the trust of the coaches at times so it feels like, yeah, it feels like it could be another like step forward and uh, sort of breakout. I mean, he already had a breakout year, but, you know, just maybe like a breakout year in terms of reputation, if not production. Uh, yeah, no, I think it's, I mean, only if something really horrible happened. I'm going to find some wood to knock on here. Uh, I got a, <laughs> a wooden door frame and walk over and knock on. Um, that's the only thing that can prevent it from happening at this point, something horrible, you know? So I, I just it's undeniable at this point he was so good last year and his efficiency was literally only Steph was more efficient of a volume score than he was and this is like he's taking really difficult shots last year he's got nobody to soak up that gravity until Vooch comes and they never really get to play together play together very much now he's got all these other offensive weapons around him and even when it's not gelling, you can see how much easier it made the game for him last night. It's kind of right. crazy. These, these step back threes are like layups for him. It's just ridiculous. <laughs> so how far do the bulls go this season? What, what do do you have a hope there? Well, the over under in Vegas, I think was, was 43 and a half, which I think they'll, they'll easily beat. Yeah. Um, I don't think that they're going to go. I don't, I don't anticipate them going that much higher than that. I would, I would think like 47, 48 wins. Um, Did I don't you know what that money was... on it. This seems like a no, easy I haven't bet. Put... It's so I haven't. I know, I know, I know. Maybe I should, honestly. Um, I mean, somebody has to get hurt for that to not happen. At least one guy, maybe more. Well, they got somebody hurt right now, and and when Kobe White comes back, that'll that'll really put him into another gear. I think. Were you really counting on him? Uh, yeah. I mean, I think that when Vooch came to the team last year, Kobe really showed that. He can be a great offensive player when he doesn't have to be a point guard and he can, sure. he can play off of other guys. And he actually became a much better defender at the same time. Um, nice. So okay. he, he did some really heads up stuff like against the heat and in, in an unlikely victory late in the season. 
on defense. And I was like, damn, Kobe White, okay. And now he's like, I mean, I think he's going to be outstanding with all these with all these guys to soak up gravity. And Should I it, pick him up in my fantasy league? Because he's available because he's injured right now. I can stash yeah, him. Yeah, he might, he might be out for another month or six weeks. But That's I, okay. I can, I can run with that. I would take him. I mean, Jalen and Kyle, are you going to get in my way on this? Um, I'm already trying to get really into the 2022 draft prospects because my season's looking pretty rough in fantasy right now. So maybe I think I'm going to be <laughs> trying to uh, trying to pick up as much keeper value as I can. Yeah, I, I don't know how many shots he'll be taking, but it's just he's going to be a difference maker. Yeah, um, and, yeah, and so, nice. He's been on my radar already. Um, I don't have any injury slots though so you can basically consider yeah me, me neither but it hasn't really stopped me so yeah um i wanted to ask this is sort of bull's orbit question again i'm sort of putting implicating myself so those listening at home don't feel like i'm just attacking everyone else on twitter but um you have <laughs> you have rightly called out um a sort of like i don't know basketball internet intelligentsia who for a while were sort of off the tom thibodeau bandwagon mm -hmm. um due to the luol dang situation and just like the idea that he basically ran i don't know a team full of players into the ground which i think has some merit but basically that people were just like not allowing him to have any success or basically just assumed or had their doubts about what his skill set was and i think it was a weird situation where you know, he had a reputation of being a defensive coach, which was well-earned, um, but then he got a chance to coach on his own, and all of a sudden those teams couldn't defend. And I think, you know, I think we just know that it was mostly about the the personnel now, it seems like, based upon his success in New York. But it was like a combination of that and then a combination of him uh, running, being a member of the front office at the same time as the coach and sort of like poor decisions in that regard. But basically, you know, for a time, it was sort of like everyone was off the – Tibbs bandwagon for any number of reasons and you I think when people were sort of hesitant about the Knicks last year you were someone who was like um you know Julius Randle is playing super well you know and he's not playing Emmanuel quickly enough but like he is developing Julius Randle he is developing the guys who are playing so yeah I just wanted you to like give you a chance to kind of like give us your Tom Thibodeau take yeah I mean I just don't understand how you can be skeptical of a guy when he's coached so many players in the career years so many of them who were trash heap guys too. It happened on the Bulls. It's happening on the Knicks. Obviously, Minnesota was a strange situation. Um, him having the front office control was was probably not in in their advantage. He's a little too nostalgic for that. Um, he's, <laughs> just, he's just bringing he's bringing back all his old dudes. You know, that's so well said. That's way more generous than the uh, than the way people say that about Doc Rivers, which is uh, he killed us once uh that was that was everyone that doc rivers signed he killed us once or he had a good game against right. us once well doc i think should be sending a check to tom every month because i think he's might be the only reason that people think he's a good coach at this point um him him and garnett honestly he should be just you know they should get a certain amount of his salary all the time Spicy. Um, i mean he's what i mean come on what are we looking at here? Like is Kawhi and PG said, get this guy out of here. You know? <laughs> and then Elton Brand hires him and, and look at what's happening in Philly. It's like, yes. come on. He's like a, he's like a, he's lost. He's like an old man and stuck in a maze. It's just like, what are we looking at here? But with Thibodeau, I mean, it's just, it's still all there. He's, I bonded with so many Knicks fans last year because I was in the building for a lot of those Bulls games, both as a fan and as, 
sometimes a media member and it was just so inspiring when they would beat so many teams that were better than them from a talent perspective over and over again in the regular season um, and it's just like amazing to watch that happening and then when he went to Minnesota most of these Minnesota fans at least on Twitter were just like they hated him for some reason and I was just like you people are so ungrateful like this, this, this man is amazing and then he goes to New York and they get it and they see it and I'm like thank you and my God, it's just, it's wonderful to see how much they appreciate what they have because this is a team that will never leave money on the table in the regular season. <laughs> I, I, I have to ask him because it was so much a part of the Thibodeau narrative. Does he take any, should he take any responsibility for those player injuries on those teams where there are certain guys in just those guys playing, you know, huge, huge minutes game after game? Is, is that a, a, a negative mark on the Thibodeau resume or is something else going on here and it just got fashioned into that narrative? I, I think it's, it's mostly overblown. I mean, I don't think it's nothing, but I barely think it's something. Um, even just from a like, quantitative angle, I mean, you can look at who's leading the league in minutes every year and it's like there usually are a couple Tibbs guys who are you know, in the top, yeah, I think 10, he had two like, of the top five last season again. Yeah. Can we, can we just take a timeout here? I'm, I'm really sorry to interrupt, but you no, know, we, we started off today and we talked about exciting things. And I said, Milwaukee, Milwaukee is down 32 to seven with 229 left in the first quarter right now to the heat. Plenty of time it, to come back. Plenty I know, but the no, heat, nobody's playing in the game. Is, this is unbelievable. I mean, like nobody's Greg, yeah, playing. Drew, <laughs> like Brooke Lopez, Drew Holiday, and a bunch of other people are out. I think that's the the reason for it. Why are they but all out? They, still, get, they get COVID or something? Jalen, <laughs> let's get you to talk about the Heat. Come on. Yo, I mean, I've said it before. The Heat make, like the Warriors, the Heat make more sense this year. I, ju I just think the vibes will be better. Like, I think I'm just, you know, a buddy, friend of the pod, uh, Alex Sickwig said that um, vibes are the hard science of the NBA. The vibes are better. The vibes are better in Golden State. The vibes are better in Miami. You know, Kyle Lowry fits everything they want to do perfectly. They're going to get more than what you think they'd get based on the talent that they have. Everyone every smart person in the NBA or not everyone, but a lot of them keep saying PJ Tucker can't shoot. Uh, the bucks aren't going to miss losing him. I think I disagree with that. Um, Pat Connaughton did look good in the first game, but I still think that they'll, they'll miss his presence in the playoffs some, and the heat will certainly appreciate having him on the roster and he'll just add to the toughness and grittiness of the roster scoring at times might be difficult, but, like, like I said in my team preview, I think Duncan Robinson's going to bounce back. It's kind of insane to say he's going to bounce back since he shot 40% from three last year, but that's how damn good of a shooter he is. <laughs> he's going to shoot even better this year, in my opinion. Um, yeah, I just think, I think as long as they don't suffer an injury or multiple injuries, then, you know, they're going to make some noise in the playoffs or at least give someone a really tough first round series. I will, I will agree with that in part by pointing out that PJ Tucker is two for three from the field with a three pointer already. Um, and I watched um, some heat preseason games and the, the word that Tyler hero had gotten into the weight room in the off season looked very true to me. Um, and uh, you know, that additional conditioning and strength that he'll have. Um, I mean, who knows what, what, um, 
you know, went wrong last year with a shooter. It could be in your head. It could be anything, but I, I just think it bodes well um, for him to have a great season. Yeah. And I kind of dove into the numbers on hero and also uh, Trey young, who uh, John said, he's now Trey young hive. So basically hero took way more spot up threes in his rookie season than he did the following one. And he didn't shoot the pull up threes nearly as well. Um, and I think it was sort of like maybe they were handing him the keys to like a door he couldn't fully open or just like a job he wasn't really ready to handle yet. But I think he should be better equipped to handle that job of sort of primary ball handler, playmaker on the second unit, you know, scorer. Um, and I think he's just going to shoot better. I think he's going to shoot better on pull up threes. I think he's going to shoot better on uh, those mid range floaters. Um, and I just think he, like you said, the added strength should help. Um, I think he'll be in a good position. And with Trey Young, um, it was really weird. He, he took fewer threes last year. I think his three, three numbers, three-point attempts a game went from like nine to six. Um, and I think he was trying to figure out a way to be more efficient because he doesn't shoot the three as well as you would think based on his reputation. Um, but what happened was he ended up in floater range more often. Um, and, you know, he could still make that work. He basically beat the Milwaukee Bucks for a game uh, with that floater. Um, and he did the same thing to the Sixers. So it's not like that was com- totally bad, but like from a maximizing your points or point potential standpoint, I think he needs to get back to taking those 10 threes. And if he ever, if he ever, ever, ever shoots like 36% or above on those pull up threes, it's, it's going to be impossible to stop him even more so than it is already. Yeah. I love, I love Trey so much, man. I was going to say, that's a good transition. I know I, I kind of stole the mic from you there. John, no, no, it's fine. We don't the, need to talk about Thibodeau. Can, 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 I, can I put something to you there about Trey then? Because one of my talking points that I put up to myself was, um, I, um, you know, the, the, the Christmas games and the, the, the opening games of the season, um, the, um, Martin Luther King Day games, those are kind of the NBA showcase and they really carefully um, like pick the slate and they're always feeding into some kind of like pre-crafted narrative. And um, I had, um, I I had somewhat of a negative reaction this year to the Luca Trey game, um, just in the sense that I was like, Trey just, I thought broke out of that narrative in the playoffs last year. Mm-hmm. I thought what they were, what he was able to do against the Knicks and you know, all the references to, to like Reggie Miller and like the, the, you know, the, the, the pain of Nick's lore. And, and uh, I thought that this was a moment for him to, um, to, to really sort of ascend and, and, um, and sort of have his own story. And um, I can also see then why, you know, you could you could see a picture you know it's such a great narrative from the nba standpoint then where he's 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 commensurate in some way you know he deserves mm-hmm. to to have this showcase against luca and all this but i don't know i i, I felt uh, I, best to say ambivalent about it I'm, I'm curious if you had a reaction to this opening game i'm i mean i'm the trey luca thing is remains interesting to me i think that there was such a like Oh, those idiots passed on Luca thing for so long, and they, people said the same thing about the Suns. Well, how can you say that when they go to the finals, right? How can you say that when the Hawks go to the conference finals? Obviously, you know the Kings still pretty ridiculous, especially given what's going on with Marvin Bagley right now. Um, for them to pass on Luca, 
But I mean, those other teams did really well by themselves in the Hawks, especially. I mean, Trey is just such a, he's such a true star. I mean, I, I just, it never gets old to me when somebody who is just physically smaller than everyone on the floor manages to be the best player on the floor. Like this is why I've been a, a huge Chris Paul fan forever. Um, it's like, how the fuck do you do that? <laughs> you have to be so smart um, and so fearless. And he's both of those things. And, you know, I don't think we really saw how much that was true until he got to the playoffs last year. And it was just like, holy shit, like, this is crazy. And I think that's, it, God, I don't want to talk about the Sixers anymore, but like, that is the underrated part of that whole series. It's just like, hey, Trey was the best player in the series. Like, everybody went going in, didn't think he was as good as he was, assumed MB would be the best player in that series, whatever. Trey was very clearly the best player in that series, right? He dominated. Anytime Simmons wasn't on him, he just scored whenever he wanted. When Simmons was on him, he was so smart about using screens. I think one of the most underrated skills in the NBA is not just screening it is using screens correctly he uses them so well it's crazy um i just i love this guy it just he's so resourceful and so smart and he's just gonna win a lot of wars going yeah forward. yeah i think i've said this before that like uh i think it's just incum- incumbent on us like people who watch the game and hopefully watch them closely to to appreciate players like trey young and just appreciate players who are good and skilled and smart um and tough and i think that like it's very easy to like put up the headlines about trey young is shooting 31 point 31 percent on threes this year and he's taking 10 of them and this is like awful and bad for basketball and all this stuff but if you watch the games like trey young is really tough like people are like um oh, he's not going to be able to get these, like, BS foul calls now. Like, you don't draw those fouls if you're afraid of contact. You don't draw them if you're, like, not tough. Like, Trey Young is, like, game. He's been game since day one from the hand fighting that happens uh, in the playoffs. Like, if you watch him on his drives, he might not get by the guy, but he's hand fighting him the entire time. So I wasn't as surprised. I certainly didn't expect him to do what he did in the playoffs, but, like, I had seen for like the years he's been in the league, I'd seen that toughness. I'd seen that willingness to be game for the fight, you know? And it's also, that's also a skill. Like it took, it took Steph Curry, the losing in the 2016 finals to learn how to do that stuff. It took him to, to learn how to do that kind of hand fighting and the sort of like crafty James Harden tricks of hooking, uh, hooking guys arms and all these sorts of things. Cause you need that as a counter to the physicality that you're going to face in the playoffs. And Trey young is just like, had that the moment he walked in the league, like not only was he skilled and talented and not only is he like an incredibly underrated passer, but like just the, the, the other skills of the foul drawing, like that's a skill. That's a huge skill. And sure. He might not draw as many fouls, but he's still going to draw plenty. And I just think that, like, we just need to learn how to appreciate players who are not necessarily like LeBron James. Like, not everyone can be LeBron James. Like, Jokic is going to be deficient on defense for his entire career. That's okay. But, like, what are you going to do? Are you just going to trade him and say we can't win a championship with this guy? Like, that's idiotic. Like, he's one of the best offensive players in the world like maybe the best offensive player in the nba like if if steph curry takes like a dip at all so it's just like you just have to figure out how to appreciate them and figure out how to build around them and then hope for the best because like otherwise this like championship or bust mentality just sucks everything out of the game yeah with trey i just 
it's I get annoyed with that like oh he's a little cheap foul drawing guy let's see what you do now that they change the rules it's like well he'll just do something different like yeah you, exactly. you just you just yeah, watch, he figures it out yeah you watched it in that in that Sixers series again it was just like the the lines kept moving in that series right like because the Sixers were a smart defensive team um, and he just kept figuring it out like he just he's an amazing problem solver I think you know. I don't know if he's the best problem solver in the league right now, but I mean, for his age, he's the for best. His age, definitely. CP3 is the only one I'd really put with him. Yeah, I would put him top five at the very least. I mean, he's just, and he's so young. It's like, and fearlessness. I mean, he might be number one, honestly. Like, that's just crazy. It's just crazy. He's so small. Mm-hmm. Like, I just. Aren't we granting him more fearlessness because he's small, though? You have to. You have <laughs> yeah. to. <laughs> Yeah, that's how that works, I think. You know, it's just like, it's crazy. I mean, but see, here's the thing. I don't think he thinks he's small, though. I just don't. I feel like he (laughs) He has a different, I know, I know he is, but I think he has a different version of himself in his head while he's playing the game. I don't think he sees himself the way so much of the media does. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, he, he probably doesn't. Um, it's yeah i just love that guy so much i'm as soon as we finish this you know we get to we all get to watch the (laughs) conclusion of mavs talks so yeah yeah so um we're coming toward the end john as our guest i would like to offer you the last word for uh this episode of the shot tower pod gosh what's the last word i guess the thing anything you want anything at all i'm just excited not excited um, just looking forward to seeing what happens with the Sixers thing. I don't even know if looking forward to it. I just know I'm going to keep looking at it. When will it be over? It. Yeah, I just, I just want to see Simmons on a different team, and I want to see what the Sixers can be without him. And that's yeah. what the Sixers want, too. That's what the players on the team very clearly want. Um, it's what everybody wants at this point if it's what the just, NBA needs <laughs> I know it's just bad for the NBA it's bad for it like yeah, yeah. Let, 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 let's put it let's put it down make it be over yep yeah just like this episode of Shot Tower is now over we are turning off the phantom power cheers <laughs> <laughs>